Hello, everyone. My name is Jose Calderon. Hello, my name is Matt Lunsford, and this, this is, is Tension Cast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next exciting episode of the TenshiCast Interview Adventures, presented by TenshiForum.com. In 1997, Tenshi Muyo as a franchise was at its zenith, with a brand new TV series and a movie coming out in Japan. But over in America, two comic creators would get a chance to put their own spin on this beloved franchise and forever etched their name into the monolith that is Tenchi Muyo. And the two people who made those American Tenchi comics are with me here today, Jose Calderon and Matt Lunsford. Thank you so much for talking with me here today. Oh, it's our pleasure. You're welcome. So to start us off today, I would wanted to ask, how did each of you get into the world of comics? What was the comic growing up that like really grabbed you? Ooh, well... I can say my first introduction for comic books was Marvel, and that was like the early 70s, and that's with Godzilla, Devil Dinosaur, Machine Man, and Red Sonja. And I dove into comics ever since then. Since I was a, like a sci-fi comic geek, I just dove into the art. I liked the stories, and that's what kind of inspired me to do uh, comics and drawing on my own. For myself, I started off with uh, Marvel Comics as well, and I started off with Thor, Daredevil, and the Avengers, and pretty much from there, it's just been a lifelong comics fan since probably the age of eight, eight years old. Jumping off of that, so you both were obviously huge fans of comics, reading all across the spectrum of what comics were, so how did you both start working in comics? Like, What was the catalyst? How did that all happen? Okay. Yeah, I guess. All right. So let me start because this is this this might take a minute. So when I was probably about fifteen, sixteen years old, I was getting uh, the comic book uh, comic book resources, which was uh, a newspaper that would come out uh, weekly at the time, and I would get that in the mail. And at the time, there was an article on a group of guys from Boston who just released this comic book that was doing great. And the second issue had just come out. It was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I had seen the picture and I was like, wow, look at that. I was like, these guys are creating their own comic books. I could do this too. And I, I looked at the picture and I was like, yeah, I, was, I looked at what they did. And I was like, yeah, it says, you know, I could really do this. And since that age, I was determined to do my own comic. So I got into independent publishing at that point, probably around the age of 18, 19 years old. I was already out of high school, but a friend of mine was going to art design. And he said, come on over to my school. There are a bunch of artists. And he <laughs> brought, brought me over and he introduced me to Matthew. And he introduced mm-hmm. me to a group of other artists, Daphne Lage, and a bunch of other our friends. And we just formed our own comic book company and just started producing comic books. Oh, so the both of you actually have your own comic book company. Oh, well, I do currently. That's really crazy that, you know, that, that immediately you went right into it like that. Oh, yeah. It took some research. Uh, and like I said, I mean, I did this at the age of... 17, 18 years old, and I just we started publishing probably when I was around 20, 21, and this was the early 90s. So, did you find it hard? Like, was it because I'm not, I don't, I'm not really up on you know American comics or 
uh, U.S. comics and stuff like that. So was it really hard to find a place for yourselves or was it something that was like, really booming at the time? At the time, we had just, well, okay, in the mid-80s, there was something uh, some, some people like to call the uh, black and white boom. That was around the time of the Ninja Turtles when they came out. Uh, it was actually a black and white glut. But during that time, a lot of information had come out on how to produce your own comics, how to make your own comics. Guys were actually writing and producing comics on how to make comics and distribute them and do that whole thing. So that's where I learned from. And so how long before, I guess, you were contacted by Pioneer? Like, were you contacted by Pioneer to start doing comics or was there an in-between there? Oh, there was there was definitely an in-between between Pioneer and when we started doing comic books because before Pioneer, we were working with Central Park Media that existed at the time, and we were working on, um, gotta say the name, La Blue Girl, the first hentai comic book <laughs> released in the States. And the staff that we worked with, I guess, had connections with Pioneer. So I guess probably after we did yeah, well, La Blue Girl and, I guess, Demon Beast Invasion, we got introduced to Pioneer. Well, what happened was there was um, a break in editorial. And the editorial staff who had hired us to, to take on the adult material, they had left. And they brought on a new editorial staff and they just saw the series to the end. But the old editorial staff went on and they cut a deal with Pioneer. And that's where they picked up Tenchi and Moldiver and El Hazard and Phantom Quest Corps. And they they wanted to bring us along. So we went along with them. And we just that's how we got introduced to Tenchi. Mm -hmm. So originally you were doing kind of like your own comics, your own creative comics. And then as you're working with Central Park Media and eventually Pioneer, did you enjoy working on properties that weren't necessarily your own that you had written the story for or were making original art for? Well, I know for me, um, it was interesting because I found it, it was one, yes, it ended up being very enjoyable, but I, the way I, I view writing when I'm working on somebody else's stuff, it, it's like if you have a very complicated puzzle in front of you that you're trying to put together. And that sort of thing always fascinates me. So, you know, I look at it and I say, okay, how can I solve this issue? So, you know, I got really got into it, um, especially with like Tenchi. I remember when I first got the job, well, we were first going through it. They had given me, I don't know, what was it, like 10 VHS tapes, which had 24 episodes on it. And I binged watched those suckers in two days. And from that point on, I just wrote these two um, submissions just to see, you know, which one they would like. And I submitted those but yeah it, it was actually a lot of fun so i mean I, I can't ever say i didn't enjoy it i really did enjoy it jose you had this is how we got to talking was you had seen our podcast on it and one of the things that people really really understood you know really felt i should say was that it felt like people who understood tenchi had worked on this it wasn't just two random people who had were given the task of making a, a U.S. Tenchi comic. So in that respect, I would say that you you really did understand it, you know, binging it through that quickly. And uh, because a lot of people will sometimes maybe not necessarily come in, but they don't they don't really get it. They don't get the, the secret sauce. And I felt like that both of you really, really got that. Going back to the, the creative process was doing a little bit of research. I saw that Hiroe Sukamoto... The producer for Tenshi in Tokyo was 
is listed as an executive producer for the comic. After the submission that you got was accepted, how much creative freedom did the both of you have when working on this comic? Um, as far as the creative aspect, we didn't run into too much trouble with it. I mean, we were given um, character sheets for each of the characters from Tenchi, Ryoko, all the, the houses, the, all the character development, everything. And it was just like a quick study and just see if we can interpret their characters in our style. Especially for me, since, you know, it's a, a Western comic artist doing an anime style. So basically it was like a test run to see if I can just draw the characters and create new characters from their designs. And um, it went pretty well. We didn't have any type of uh, conflicting interests with it. They, they did like we, were, like we were doing with the characters. So it went pretty smooth. Um, maybe like one or two hiccups, but nothing that would say, no, no, we can't have you drawing our comic book because you'll destroy our merchandising or destroy our, our idea. Yeah, I know for myself, <clears throat> there were two plots I submitted for it, and they picked the one they wanted, which was the one that got printed. It was Rio Oki's Day because they felt, and the reason they chose that one was because uh, they they felt Rio Oki was just more popular, and that was a character they were pushing. They also had a plush toy at the time out. So they, they just told me to go with that. But as, to be honest with you, there wasn't, I didn't get a lot of notes or anything. Actually, I don't remember ever getting any. They, I just wrote my scripts. I submitted them. And I guess they were happy because I, I never got any complaints. I never got any pushback, anything. So, What was the genesis of some of the original characters? I mean, if, if we're going all the way back to 97, so I know that's a far way to go uh, for some ideas and stuff. But like Dante Mix... Rob, uh, what were what were some of the inspirations for their characters? Like, what was the thought process in some of those, both as a story character and the design for the character? Well, as far as the design, like I said, I just studied a lot of what the Tenchi universe was and how the characters were conceived, how the hair designs were, how the technology worked, how how just basically the universe itself. So I just tried fashioning the characters as if, you know, if it was off one of the um, OVA, OVAs, sorry about that, um, off the actual cartoon. Because if you wanted this book, though, the work, the character designs, to me, were most important. Whether I was redrawing Tenchi or making a character from scratch, like uh, Dante Mixer or Inferno. And considering how I'm influenced by Robotech and Mixer 1, I kind of let those ideas kind of um, come along with creating all these characters. Yeah, I, I know for myself, as far as like Rob, uh, I had listened to the, um, I guess, to the podcast you guys had done. And one of the things you guys had um, difficulty with was Rob, right? And it was, it, it made me laugh because someone had called the character creepy and that he was really dark, and he was just out there doing his thing, killing cabots and such. And I, it just made me, it put a huge smile on my face, because I was like, yes, that's what he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be dark. He was supposed to be creepy. He's a villain. He was meant to have very few redeeming qualities. He's deranged in his own way. You understand? I mean, when I wrote him, I wrote him, I said, this is supposed to be a terror that comes into your life that is very unexpected. You understand? And that's what he was supposed to be. And that's how, you know, I mean, I made him comical in some scenes because, you know, he, that's what, you know, sometimes you, you can't have it just all be one thing because he's not a serial killer per se, but he he is a bit deranged. You know, he's this bored postal worker 
and you know he's doing his thing. As far as Dante Mix goes, he was yeah, he was just like some goofball character. He was just like, this is who I want to be, and he's just a wannabe. He just wants to be this, but he doesn't necessarily want to put the work to be this thing. He wants to get there as quickly as he can and just take every shortcut. And it's it's just to show the point. You just can't do that. You gotta work your way to that point. Can't be a lazy but, villain. <laughs> exactly. But you know, he's a silly guy, so you know, he ends up with silly results. You have to ask too, yeah, we're talking about the story of stuff. Like, did you know from the very beginning that you were gonna do the MacGuffin thing at the very end? <laughs> the MacGuffin thing, right. Um I think yeah, yeah, because that was that was plotted out because what it was all right, someone had told me of a trick that was done or like just some kind of a writing exercise that happened. You ever heard of the movie called Tremors, right? Oh yeah. I love it. Okay. Someone, and the thing is I haven't watched the movie. I, I watched the movie, but I, I don't ever remember watching the movie for this particular thing. They told me there's a lighter that's passed from each character in the movie and it touches every character in the movie. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting that there's an item that goes from character to character to character to character. And that's Sasami's package. And I was just like, okay, let me see if I can replicate that. And it was a challenge to myself. And I was like, all right, let's see if I can do that and make it consistent and make it work within the story. And then the thing with the MacGuffin, I actually hate MacGuffins. And that's why that works out that way, because I'm literally just goofing on MacGuffins and anybody who uses them. Like I said in the podcast, it was pretty brilliant. Like, I loved it. I got to the very end and I was like, that's... That is such a great way to play that. We're talking about all of the original characters, and you were talking about uh, the references. You talked about Robotech, and you know Minmay is in there as the character in uh, Paradise and whatnot. Were there any restrictions on being able to put stuff? Because I know somebody else said there was like a Harley Quinn in the panel with Dante Mix. Were you told like not to do that, or was it just kind of free reign to just put in the references that you wanted? No, it was free reign because all of that just came out of my head. I just put it in the artwork and I said, I'll just put the Batman symbol floating around a bunch of leaves. I'll, I'll draw Batman in one of the issues. I'll draw Minmay. I'll draw a Valkyrie from Robotech. I'll draw Giant Robo's head someplace else. Harley Quinn was, you know, a stretch because that's like a more of an American villain than Japanese influence. But I, I put her in there and um, no, everything was no problems. None, as long as it was done tastefully and... And people would get the inside joke about it. Even have, well, I'm looking at the page right now. I have, to, I have Totoro stuffed doll in, like, in the Yagami next to Kony and in Mahoshi. I mean, I just drew things that would just make it kind of silly, you know, especially with Min May. I'll admit, I'm a Robotech fan. I love Min May. So I decided to draw her in there. Um, El Hazard, Fujisawa, I drew him in there. I just had all, all these little sight gags. It's Tenchi. I mean, yeah. you can be serious, but you can also be comical at the same time. Yeah, that was, I think, the thing about it is like, you know, I know my, myself writing it, I wanted to have a serious element to it, which was Rob. And also, you know, the few times that Tenchi does get a little introspective, but it had to be fun. It had to be lighthearted. It had to be, you know, interesting, you know, it, you know, just something everybody can enjoy. You know, can it just be one thing? A member of our site, Non, had actually said that, I think you might have said this on DeviantArt, but the both of you had actually had a sequel a, an idea for a sequel to the Tenchi comic, and we never saw that sequel. So what what happened? What exactly happened with that? Yeah, because I'll just either break down crying or Hulk out. <laughs> okay. So, all right, basically was we, we had, what had happened was the person who had gone from CPM 
this person will remain nameless, and had put together the Tenchi deal, they had basically ran off with $50,000, or it was either forty dollars or $50,000, someone in that area, of Pioneer's money, and that was the budget for all the upcoming projects. It was supposed to fund El Hazard. It was supposed to fund, uh, what was it, Moldiver. It was supposed to fund, you know, Phantom Quest Corps and Tension. And Tension. They had wanted us to do another 18 issues after this one. Uh, I had already prepared. I had I had already prepared a proposal. I was going to do some insane story that was going to happen like 30,000 years in the future because I was trying to do something that wouldn't interfere with the current, like whatever they were doing now, the story I would write would have, like would not interfere with it at all. And their story wouldn't interfere with mine. And I would just take the characters, move them 30,000 years into the future, do this crazy adventure, bring them back and they'll be whole and everybody could just move on. But, you know, it never came to fruition because, you know, this person ran off with that cash and, you know, and at that point, Pioneer was like, well, we just don't have the budget for it. Yeah. So that was that. Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So, I mean, did Pioneer did Pioneer know? Like, did Pioneer make some kind of executive decision, like, we're done after that? Or was it, you know, were they just very... You had said that was somebody from Central Park Media, so that would have been... I feel like that would have been some real tension between the two of them to do that. Well, the person no longer worked for... Uh, they left... Ah, okay. Right. So she, this person was a, um, a freelancer, basically, at that point. And they had put together the project. They brought Matthew in, they brought myself in, they brought in everybody else. Dave Cooper on Phantom Quest Corps and a couple other people who were supposed to do Moldiver. And, you know, she she brought us all in. But, I don't know, She, I think she just had some kind of mental break during the process. And she Maybe. just couldn't handle it. And she ended up fleeing with all the money, which was unfortunate because I was really looking forward to continuing. And so was mad. Yeah, yeah. A lot could have happened with the project because they were looking forward to doing another series. Because I guess with Pioneer, they were experimenting with an American based market. Say, let's put out, you know, a comic here in the, in the States drawn by American artists to see how it goes. And it worked out pretty well for them. It's like, okay, let's do another one. And mm. fortunately, things happened, which they didn't happen, but they did. And, well, we only have the one series. But I think they would have gone well with a second series. It would have done really well. But, you know, what can I say? Yeah. I think I'll cry now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that um, really got me was that this happened in 97. And it was in around 98 that graphic novels really started taking off. So we never got a trade of this book. And I think if we would have just, if it would have just gotten pushed up or if Pioneer just held on just a little while longer. They could have done a trade of this and really made, probably made back the money they put into it. You know, I lost from uh, from that person fleeing. But yeah, we just never got to that point. And that's one of the things that I, that I regret from the series is never getting a trade. From all that I've heard, the Tenchi comic, it sold very well. You know, they could have done more, but I guess that, you know, that horrible situation that you guys went through, it ended up not filling out. And, you know, I... You're talking about the 30,000 years in the future. Did you mean like they, the characters themselves literally time traveled? Or did you mean like that would have been their kids or descendants? or But, you know, what was kind of the, what were you thinking well, about doing there? It, it, I briefly looked over the proposal, <laughs> like uh, I think last night. And I was like, what was this? Because it is 22 years ago. And I was like, what was I thinking? And but yeah, it was uh, someone from the future, I guess, uh, was some kind of like descendant of Tenchi's. And they had come into the past to try to get his help. 
And basically, they only wanted Tenchi, but then, you know, of course, the entire mm-hmm. cast and crew has to join them. Um, and basically, that was it. And it was going to be, like I said, 30000 As far as, like, what happened... I don't remember any other specifics. <laughs> it's been that long. So, so you actually still have the original proposal? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those old Word files. I keep, I back up everything, you know, continuously. So I, I always have that. I have that. I have the original. Like I said, I, I submitted two plots. There was a real Oki's Day, which is the one I got done. There was one called No Need for Malagar, and that story was basically about Washu and Malagar. It was Professor Malagar. He was supposed to be the number two super genius in the galaxy. And he was only like one or two IQ points less intelligent than Washu. But this really aided this guy. And he was like, who remembers? Nobody remembers number two. So, you know, he just wanted to really go after her. And that was going to be that story. And it was, you know, again, more wacky, insane stuff would happen. And it would have been a lot of fun to do. You know, it's one of those things. The feeling that I get from the both of you is that Obviously, this was a series that has very much stayed with you guys. If the opportunity ever presented itself through some kind of extraordinary fashion, would you be willing to do it again if you were ever asked to do that? I know I would. I don't. I can't speak for Matthew. No, I'll speak. I'll speak. I'll speak. I'll speak. Uh, I'll just speak. Yes, I would. I really would because it was a fun project. It it, it was fun exploring this detention universe and just creating new ideas and new characters and just, it was just fun. It was a great experience. I would love to repeat that again. I really would. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, one of the things I want to look into, I don't even know who to contact. It's funny because I was listening to you guys and hearing the litany of different people that the company has passed from hand to hand to hand, you know, now it's a universal, you guys, I think you guys said, and I was like, wow, I said, who would I even get in contact with to try to get the rights? to reproduce, you know, to get a trade out, you know? And then the, the other crazy thing is who has the artwork? Because Matthew, we, the deal was kind of, was kind of crappy on our end because Matthew had to, had to uh, surrender all of his artwork to them. Yeah. So they got all the artwork. So it was like, who even has the originals? You know, I mean, I would, I would like to reproduce it, but I would hate to have to reproduce it from the comic books. I would want to get a hold of the originals, scan those. They can have them back, or it would be nice if they get back to Matthew. But, it would, you know, I would want to just scan them from those and reproduce them from those. And, yeah. As I understand it right now, or I guess the timeline of it, for anyone who's listening, and even for you gentlemen, was obviously it started Pioneer LDC, and then they became Genion in 2003, and then they became Genion Universal when... Genion left the U.S. and then Genion Universal became NBC Universal, and that is currently who is the owner of all of the old back catalog of Tenchi in Japan. And I'm, I'm pretty sure there's still probably people from Pioneer since the company's just moved and it's basically been merged. But yeah, I believe that is the uh, the company who has that. And so all of this happens in 1997. You put out the comic. And then the unfortunate tragedy of someone losing their mind and taking all of the money uh, and leaving a lot of people high and dry. You know, you were getting ready to embark on some really cool projects as well. You know, there's the El Hazard comic that was going to come out, which was, you know, Tenchi's sister series. So what do you do after all of this happens? Where do you go from there? Wow, that's funny because, okay, for me, 
after this project, like I had a choice. I could either pursue a serious career as a writer in comics, or I could just get a regular day job. After this project, I just got a day job. I really hate submitting proposals. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it with a passion. Um, if you give me, if you offer me a job, just give me the job, and I'll do the best I can. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you need a proposal, obviously, I'll give you plots. But I just hate submitting proposals, and that's one of the reasons why I just never pursued it. What's funny is the guy who took over for the lady who uh, left was C.B. Sobolski. C.B. Sobolski is currently the EIC over at Marvel Comics. And I and CB has worked there for a good 15 years in these. And I've been on good relate terms with him for years. I've, what's funny is we would go to San Diego and I would see him on flights and we would say, what's up? And, you know, and I probably saw him like three or four years before he became EIC. I saw him at Boston Comic Con and we were just talking for a little while. And we always had a good relationship, but I've never asked him for a job. And I probably never will, <laughs> you know, because I'm not I'm not interested in working for Marvel. I like working on my own stuff. I love Tenchi because it was just different. So I liked working on it. And it was very open. It was, there's a lot of territory to cover and not have to run into, like, these odd things. Um, well, after Tenchi, basically, honestly, that was – I mean, it was a pretty uh, – it was a high point for me because working on a property like this with popular characters being translated into my style, it, it, it was fun for me. But after it, you know – the things happen the way it happened. I just, you know, life, you know, it, it, it finds a way, it moves on, you gotta move on, and either, you know, live or die, and you know, basically with a day job, and just, for me, just keep drawing. So at least, you know, if this happens again, you know, hopefully I'll be on point, and be like, okay, I can draw, I can draw these characters, and be as creative as I was the last time. So I just, I have to keep my head up, basically. And that's all I've been doing. I'll keep my head up, I'll keep drawing. Yeah, the only other thing with me is like, oh, <laughs> just so anybody does think, I haven't stopped writing. I, I produce, there's a, somebody mentioned that I do an online comic called Tall Tales, which I've been doing for the last forever. And then I also do a comic called The Oswald Chronicles. So those are my two main passions. I've been doing those for the last 20 plus years. And, you know, I all I do is Indiegogos and Kickstarters for them. So, I mean, I, th I think I do, I did about five or six of them last year. So it's not like I ever stopped writing. I still write. I write every day. It's just something I love doing. But it's just, like I said, as far as pursuing work for other people to pay me for, like, you know, doing professional, I guess what some would refer to as professional level work, <laughs> as I hold up my finger quotes, no, I'm not interested. I'm not really interested in that stuff. If it comes along, I'm not necessarily going to turn on my nose to it. But, you know, there would have to definitely be a conversation as to, you know, what can be done and that sort of thing. Talking about Indiegogo and Kickstarter and all that, I, being that I'm primarily a video game person and a little bit of anime, I don't see, you know, all of the range of stuff like that. But, you know, looking into it a little bit before we started here, I noticed that, you know, a lot of people actually do that for books and for comics of their own. And they actually seem like they're incredibly successful. Like they don't, I don't feel like they get talked about as much as like board games or video games, I guess, because video games bomb all the time whenever a Kickstarter happens or, you know, it goes through, but then shenanigans happen. So, you know, do you feel like that's a, a really good avenue for comic creators? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I've been doing, wow, Kickstarter and Indiegogo probably, well, 
Indiegogo taken seriously probably in the last eight or nine months, but Kickstarter I've been doing six years now maybe, and I've done 14 of them successfully. I don't make a lot of money. Like I, I probably make fifteen hundred to three thousand per campaign. But there are guys that make ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand. It has a lot more to do with uh, uh, noise to signal ratio, like how far you can get your your signal out. And you know something like Tenchi, I think could get way out there because uh, just of the name. Mm, but it's like already established. Exactly, it's already established. You know, commodity. But you know. But for smaller creators, I mean, if you can get yourself on a social media and just promote yourself, promote yourself, promote yourself, you can definitely do well for yourself. I've seen plenty of guys, you know, make 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 and more, way more. Well, that's really cool. That's, you know, really exciting that that is an avenue for something like that. Because again, you know, I I mean, I'd always seen that Kickstarter and uh, crowdfunding campaigns are really successful, but I didn't realize to the degree, you know, of how much. But then again, I guess that's, you know, the nature of the internet now, like if you, it used to be, or at least this is my interpretation, I feel like it used to be people would cast a wider net. And now I feel like if you find your niche, you know, they're, they're very, they're very die hard. Like if you find your niche, you will be okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really promising to hear. I guess the, one of the last things that I was going to say is, you know, Jose, you talked about the some of the projects that you were working on. Matt, is there are there any projects now that you're working on that you would like to promote at all? Um, well, I'm working with uh, Jose on a story, um, but right now I'm just basically just drawing my own things and posting them on DeviantArt. Well, the one thing I want to do is go over. It's funny because I've listened to the uh, to the conversation you guys had a few times, just trying to suss out what's going on. And it's funny because I was like, okay, so I know there, there were a few questions and I want to see if I can answer a few of those questions asked and never answered. One of the, one of the funny ones was uh, Whizbang came up. And as far as the lettering, the lettering could use a little bit of a touching up. That's, if I ever got it back, that's definitely something we would do. And we did use Whizbang. It's not something I would use today. Though. I use something called, I use the Joe Kuber font, which is a much better font, but that's <laughs> a whole other story. Uh, the other one was um, uh, Demi. She appears in the very beginning and she appears at the very end. And the reason that happens is I wanted to end the story with the character I started with. Now, the thing is, though, someone had mentioned that she just mysteriously ends up like that at the end. And that's the only other place where she shows up. Not true. Page number, the very first page of issue four, Demi is the very opening page and she's in her Cabot spaceship thing Mm -hmm. and that's her and she's stalking the hunter she's stalking rob um and that's the only other time she does appear until the final issue where she shows up again and she introduces herself to tenchi's father Mm -hmm. and and her his grandfather uh oh and it's a dog it by the way I love it because I thought it was a dog it and I <laughs> thought it was a dog bit. So I, I'll be able to rub that in his face a little bit. Oh, also, yeah, I'll have to check back on the Demi one. Well, I guess just one more final little thing. Your your favorite Tenchi character, go. For me, it would be Tenchi. Mahoshi. Mahoshi is a lot of fun. Mahoshi is definitely a lot of fun. Mahoshi is a lot of fun to draw. And um, I would say second to Mahoshi would be... Actually, no, Kioni and Mahoshi. Those are my two favorite characters to draw. <laughs> That's interesting. You know what's funny? I didn't know that. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't know that. But what's funny for me, it would be Tenchi and Ry- Ryoko. 
Ryoko. And I think mm, one of the things that was addressed that I, that I didn't just mention was that was uh, the relationship between Aika and Ryoko. And it's unfortunate. Like the series was only six issues. If I had more space, I could have done more with them. And I know someone had mentioned that, you know, the backstory to Rob should have been fleshed out a little bit more, which I do agree with. But the only problem is I would, if you look at these issues, a standard Marvel comic is 20 to 21 pages. These issues, I don't think there's a single one that's less than 25 pages. A lot of them hit 30. (laughs) Some of them hit 32. So they're beefy for what they are. And we tried to get as much as we could in there. And I mean, the problem with, uh, I guess, Rob's story is that backstory would have been just too much to fit in there. So I just kept them as mysterious as I could keep them. And I was like, okay, well, he's going to be the mystery mystery guy. And it's a little unfortunate they had to go that way. But, you know, space being what it is, you have to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the thing with uh, a shortcoming of mine was that you you can let, uh, I guess, your... your um, the other host was on the other show. Like, yeah, I used Beast one too many times. <laughs> but the thing is, is when I remember when I watched the series, I remember, and I could be wrong, but I remember Aika just being kind of one note like that. I don't know if that's true. Maybe they changed her in the other series. But that's how I remember her from Universe. Like I said, it's been 22 years since I've seen it. So I don't know. I could be very much wrong. And the other thing that I did, was, which was probably something I shouldn't have done is I did have, I did favor Ryoko over her. So it was kind of like bad, but you know, it is one of those things. I was young when I did this. So, you know, you grow old as a writer and you want to change these things, but you can't. Well, I can tell you from experience and from just a numbers perspective, I think the majority of people would agree with that sentiment of favoring Ryoko. That's just a very prevalent thing that exists uh, in Tenchi, but you know, as far as the relationship between Tenchi uh, Ryoko and Aika, and Ryoko and Aika, I, like I'd said in the podcast, I feel like you nailed it. Like you, you nailed the thing, the the quote unquote love triangle, and you really, really understood. Even with this little outing, the the most important part and the reason that I think so many people enjoyed it was because you re- you understood what Tenchi is, even though you obviously took it out of its comfort zone a little bit as far as how it was presented in the way that an American comic was or, you know, introducing newer characters or whatever. Ultimately, the thing that you created was Tenchi Muyo. And I think that that's something to be proud of. That's all I have for today, gentlemen. Again, thank you all for listening. Matt, Jose, how can they find you on social media or contact you? What are your websites? Okay, well, you can find me on um, DeviantArt under two titles. It'll be either C007 or Joe Hentai. And that's where you'll find my most recent, most, uh, yeah, most recent artwork. That's where you'll find me. Yeah, for me, you can go to uh, either the OswaldChronicles.com and you can just hit contact and I'm there. Or you can go to uh, Tall Tales Online. I'm also on there. I'm on Facebook under JD Calderon. I'm on DeviantArt under JD Calderon, also under the Oswald Chronicles. And I'm also on Twitter, also under JD Calderon. For everybody listening, of course, this has been another episode of TenshiCast. If you like what you heard, please follow these amazing creators who I've been talking with today. Contact them, let them know how great they are and how much you enjoy their stuff. And you can follow us on all forms of social media and listen to the podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere else that you like to hear your favorite podcast be heard. Until next time, stay gold. <laughs>